Welcome to the Road Untraveled podcast, the show where we share the amazing journeys of exceptional investors making an impact across the VC industry. Our guests come from tech ecosystems around the globe and each have their own perspective on where innovation is headed. We'll explore the different paths that these investors took to get to where they are today, the challenges they've faced, and the lessons they've learned along the way. A little bit about me, I'm your host, Brian Hollins. I help lead an early stage venture capital firm called Collide Capital. If you're a founder building software for the future and want to share your idea, please check us out at www.collidecap.com and find a way to get in touch. But for now, I'm thrilled to take you to our latest episode of the season. So thanks for joining us and welcome to The Road Untraveled. Hi, Wenwen. Hi, good to see you. I'm super excited that you're joining us to talk all things AI, to talk some of the work that you're doing. It's really, really a fascinating journey that you've been on and super excited to share it with folks. For everyone joining us, uh, Wenwen Lam is a partner at Gradient Venture. She's also an exited founder and um, amongst many other things, just a very talented investor in the AI ecosystem. And so super excited to get her state of AI and kind of how she's seeing things. But Wenwen, if you don't mind, maybe just give people a little bit of your background, kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Thanks, Brian. So great to see you and really appreciate you having me on this today. My background is actually a little bit not traditional for someone in venture. I actually come solely from the operating side. I started a company called Next Travel, did YC in 2015 and launched it out of YC and we scaled it to 100 million in sales. So we had almost every company that became a unicorn as a customer. And so I got to do a lot of pattern matching. So one of our first customers was Snowflake Computing. They started using us at 12 people and used us all the way up to IPO. And so really, like, I I saw a lot of companies grow up, you know, in that space from 2015 on. In 2020, we unfortunately had the pandemic and that affected travel. And I sold a travel company during a pandemic, which is a claim to fame of some sort. Um, Actually sold it over Zoom to a company called Travelper which is based in Spain. Um, They are the biggest travel startup, I think, in Spain and also one of the biggest unicorns in Europe. So as a result, I decided I didn't want to move to Spain during the pandemic. I got recruited by Gradient by one of my first investors, Darian Shirazi, and then I joined Gradient as a partner. One of the reasons I decided to actually move to the investing side was because I was just so tired of operating and like selling that company was just like this crazy feat. I was like, oh, let me like take some time out and kind of think about, you know, what I what I want to do next. And I really, really actually enjoy it. And I love working with founders and love working with companies. So it actually gave me a little bit more space and time to think about like the state of the world. And so Gradient is Google's early stage seed and A fund. So we focus on AI, which means anything with an AI angle. And so we focus on three core areas. One is infrastructure. The other is future of work, and we look lightly at consumer. We were founded in 2017, and so we've been focused on AI as generalists, but really it's anything with an AI angle, which today is apparently everything. Um, But it was funny because in 2015, when I launched our company, I launched it as an AI travel company. And during YC, Justin Kahn goes, hmm, that pitch isn't really working. You need to be the benefits of travel you know, in his deep, deep voice. And I, I was like, yes, okay, we're going to switch that pitch. But we did build a lot of machine learning in there, um, especially on the customer service and agency side. So I know the technology very well, and we do a lot um, there today. And I look at spaces that are 
very impactful for the future of work, specifically at Gradient today. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, talk a little bit about the empathy you've built now sitting on the other side of the table, just knowing the things that you had to go through, knowing the things that other founders go through. What do you think are some of the best lessons you've taken from being an operator that you've now sort of instilled into your practice as an investor? So I would say one of the things that's really helpful for founders is knowing that they have someone who understands what they've gone through. And so like when you are kind of like that player coach type of person, it is a very different dynamic because they feel like you're in the boat with them and you can actually give them like actionable advice on how, how to talk to customers, for example. And like, like some of the really hairy stuff, like when you have to, you know, like do a riff, you can talk about how to do that empathetically. There's so many hard things that you have to do as a founder. And I think it's really, 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 really nice to have someone who you feel like is just on your side of the table beyond just like, hey, here's additional capital or, you know, it's a return on our investment. It really is like, how do we make this business work? And how do you build like a big business that's not just to make money, but also just to change the world and build a huge thing. And I think that's kind of a different lens than some investors really kind of sit at. And I think a lot of that actually was kind of instilled with me through YC because YC was the most founder friendly of funds. You know, even though they took like a huge percentage, you always felt like all of your batchmates were on your team, the partners were on your team and everybody was really rooting for you to succeed. And I think that like, as an ex-founder, I'm very much like that as an investor as well. Yeah. What What are some of the things uh, you spend a lot of time sort of sourcing and funneling through the YC batches as they come out every year? What are some of the things that you think have have helped you in spotting teams or spotting talent now that you're on the investor side as you as you start to look at the future of companies coming through those cohorts? So specific to my experience, I think I really, really like Future of Work because it was something that we worked on, you know, through my company, but also in general. So right now, specifically for AI, we look for three things. And some of these are general, but some of them are for AI companies today. The number one thing that we probably look for is a huge data mode. So we have like a very specific um, thesis around the fact that if you are using proprietary data, that is actually how you kind of build build actual defensibility. So you see a lot of these companies coming out and they're going from like zero to 800K in ARR in like a month. And I think a lot of people are really, really excited about experimenting in AI right now. And you see a lot of consumer stuff that people are wanting to play with. If you remember Lenza, do you remember that? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Where everybody was like making themselves into like yep. a super like beautiful profile picture and people are, are are playing around with a lot of stuff you look at like a company like Gasper that's doing a lot of copywriting but the more differentiated your data mode is the probably the more defensible your business is going to be I was actually just talking to a good friend of mine this morning who runs a company called Ironclad and he launched a bunch of AI stuff today this morning and he was like yeah we're using a lot of proprietary data and so it creates this huge mode of defensibility I was like yeah, that's completely what investors should be looking for because it's really hard to do those types of deals. Yeah. So the second thing that we look for, and this is maybe because like I like am a consummate sales leader of some sort, like I love building products, but I love sales, is someone who's very strong with go-to-market. So like how do you kind of get market share and how do you define like your value prop 
to customers. Because if you know how to sell to customers, that's way better than just having a product, right? And, you know, you can build the best product in the world. If you don't know how to sell it, you're kind of just going to be, you know, excuse my language, shit out of luck. <laughs> and so we look for um, not only great products, but teams that have good go-to-market acumen because that's going to become increasingly important. And if you look yeah. at some like of these great companies that grow really fast today, like look at Rippling, for example, or Deal, they just have amazing go-to-market teams in addition to great products. Yeah. The third thing, obviously, is team. You want to work, you have to work with these founders all the time, right? They're texting you at midnight. They're texting you whenever. And when things get really rough, like you want to have a relationship where you're really just there for them. So I think that we're very focused on like top caliber teams, you know, teams that like listen to their customers that are like focused on building for the long run that want to build like category defining companies. Yeah, that's super cool. Maybe send a, spend a little bit of time thinking about if you could build like a, a, a future of AI, state of AI, like I know you actually spoke at the Next Web Valencia conference a couple of weeks ago. Like maybe just talk about some of the trends you're seeing. What are what are the things where you either think a lot of money is going to flow into the space or whether that's a positive or a negative for the broader AI ecosystem? Like what are just some of your thoughts on on where we're headed in AI? Sure. So I think one category that we're looking heavily at is infrastructure. And so if you see in the last, you know, probably quarter or so, you saw a lot of these infrastructure deals um, get done. We just invested in a company called Last Mile AI. Dust was really popular. Langchang was really popular. So you're seeing a lot of, a lot of companies where it lets people like embed AI into existing apps. So it lets developers actually use AI within companies and fine-tune those models. And I think that companies are really going to struggle to kind of do this type of stuff themselves, especially if they're like a traditional brick-and-mortar industry. Can you imagine, like, mm -hmm. you know, companies that are already not great with technology, like a steel company or something, but they kind of need to get ahead. And you see the more obvious, the more obvious, you know, applications. So Intercom, Notion, <laughs> they've already integrated AI into their workflows. So that brings us to kind of like the second big category, which is definitely future of work. And we believe that there are a number of workflows in which AI is going to become increasingly prevalent. You've obviously seen all the copywriting startups. So like really like increasing the efficiency um, for an SDR at a company, increasing sales efficiency. So copywriting, we've seen a lot of customer service is another big one. A company I just invested in was called Yuma.ai. It does customer service for Shopify merchants. And it's really interesting to me because it's going to train on a specific customer service instant that's very targeted and like learn about this specific mm -hmm. incident. So I, I really like the customer service angle, especially for brick and mortar traditional industries in which, you know, they haven't really, really, really done anything. And it's really hard to even just do traditional customer service. Um, and then the last part, which is like the sexy one, and I really don't know what happens here is consumer. Mm -hmm. Because people are, people are playing around with that a lot. And I, I wonder what's going to happen. But we do keep our pulse on it. So I saw this really company called PseudoWrite that lets you write like an entire novel. And you could just like give it prompts to write a novel. And I consider writing an entire screenplay. So one of the, th yeah, I know. So one of the things I've really, really thought about, though, is that it does kind of unlock the creative class. So it like 
basically allows creators to create 10x more content. And so it changes stuff for people that write books, that write screenplays, that write content. And so I think it's really interesting because you could run a business as a creator, like with 10x more efficiency than you could before. And so I think it's a it's a game changer there. Yeah, it's exciting and scary at the same time. Will you talk a little bit about the role of Gradient in the kind of AI ecosystem? Like I'll, I'll give you a second to sort of shout out the Gradient platform and maybe some of the some of the sort of things you might sell to a founder on why to choose you guys versus Sequoia or Benchmark or first round. Like what are some of the things that you think Google is well positioned to do to help out founders that are focused on AI? So one thing that's unique about Gradient specifically is that Gradient is an AI-focused fund and, you know, our founder was a or is an expert in AI. All of the partners are actually ex-founders. So we've all operated, we've all scaled. So it really is a different type of person that you're working with when you work with Gradient. I think the other thing is that, you know, Google is our sole LP. And so we actually have people on our team that help you potentially work with Google on a bunch of different things, like maybe getting access to LLMs or, or you know, early access to LLMs that you may not have access to, um, maybe working with GCP. Obviously, these are not promises, but they are things that we actually have more of a capability to do because it's, you know, and we have been researching and, you know, looking at things in AI. So we just have for years as Google. And so the connectivity is just higher. Yeah, super cool. When you think about founders that come to pitch you guys, you know, I, I know you do, you do seed and A, sometimes maybe you do Bs, but just like, what is the, what are some of the early, early fails that you think specifically founders in AI are getting caught up in right now? Like, is there a certain amount of traction that you think they need to have or certain markets they need to go after? Like, what are, what are some of the pieces of advice you might share with early founders who might think they're ready, but but probably aren't and, and kind of have a few a few milestones that they should be focused on? So one thing that I've seen a lot of recently is an explosion because people want to test like a lot of AI products and they're testing things and putting in their credit cards. But I think their retention is relatively low because of like the lack of de- defensibility. So I think one of the things that like founders need to think about is, is my product that sticky? And if it's replaceable, like how do I not just kind of have a race to the bottom based on cost and price? So I think that, you know, like I said before, data modes are pretty important there. Um, And also generally, like how do you differentiate your product so that like it's different and somebody else can't just come out and build the same thing and get from zero to like a million dollars in ARR? I have literally seen people go from 40K a month to 800K a month in like three months. And I've seen this many, many times. But if you can do that, somebody else can do that just as easily, fine-tuning this this model, right? So you really do have to figure out categorically how you are actually differentiating yourself from every other player and why someone can't just do this and like copy this right away. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Would you would you call right now a, a great time or a horrible time to be building an AI company? I think it's actually a great time because, you know, people are releasing new technologies all the time. I think it's it's a lot of fun, actually, but I would say that you have to be pretty quick on your feet and you have to kind of adapt very quickly. So from that perspective, it's it's difficult. I would say it's a great time to raise money. I think 
investors are super, super excited about AI right now. I do think that AI is going to change the world, as cheesy as that sounds. But I think that it's going to change the way that we work and the way we interact and, and all of these things. But I don't think it's a bad thing. I think we are going to make it's going to make the world a lot more efficient. Yeah. And I think that there are many industries that are actually with aging workforces that it needs to kind of go into. So one of the things when I was running my company, one of the things that was happening across America for travel agencies was that they could not hire enough agents because nobody wanted to go and learn how to be a corporate travel agent. Nobody was like, I'm going to go to college and I want to learn how to book on this like crappy blue screen. And it's like the perfect example for me of like how you can actually make it really efficient for agents or anyone in customer service to really to really kind of like 10x productivity for, for categories of work that people don't really want to do or that are understaffed or are aging. Yeah, that's really cool. What is, what is some of the advice you wish somebody gave you when you were early in your kind of founder and entrepreneurial days? We have a lot of folks, 18 to, you know, 28, who are kind of getting going on their entrepreneurial journey. Just any advice you'd share or things that you wish someone had shared with you before you, before you headed out to try to build something? I think that I kind of didn't realize what a long road it can be. So I think, you know, you get on the treadmill and you're like, oh, I've been doing this for a year. And then you're like, I've been doing this for two years. And all of a sudden it's your five or six or seven. You're like, wow, like this is like a really long time. So I think that people underestimate that it can be a very long-term commitment and is like a major part of your life. The other thing is that how much time it actually does take. Like when I was running my company, I was totally obsessed with my company. So I would wake up, I would like work all day. I would probably like have dreams about my company. And then I would like go to sleep. And then, you know, all over again, especially towards the end during the acquisition. I remember there was a point where I'd go to bed at 12, wake up at four and then just like do the whole thing for months on end. So I would say that, you know, um, that it's never going to be a perfect journey, but that you should enjoy the ride just as much as the outcome. Yeah, super cool. A couple more for you. This is this has been really fun. I appreciate you joining me. Maybe maybe talk about some of the pitfalls, in your opinion, of where AI is headed. So you, you talked about some of the pros and sort of the potential outcomes. What are some things you're concerned about, given you know that a lot of people don't have a ton of knowledge about what AI is or what it's capable of? Uh, in, in your seat, you, you, you sort of do know what some of the potential bad actors or bad outcomes could be. Yeah, so I think that's a that's the the notion of ethical AI has actually come up a lot, especially at Google. And so I think that, you know, that is part of the discussion and part of what's going to happen. Like who owns a lot of this data? Who owns a lot of these things? So obviously, like we've seen GPT, um, you know, kind of like come up with lots and lots of blocks of tech. But remember, they're getting trained on data that's openly available. So who owns that content? And so, you know, there's this whole old system where, you know, like people would license content to, you know, different players and the big, you know, the big companies all are part of that. Um, and so I would say that a lot needs to be figured out there. And then also, of course, there is a lot of concern about misinformation, um, you know, doing things correctly, like and all that kind of stuff. So I would say that that's that's going to be front and center for quite a while. I mean, every, obviously, you've seen the whole like stop AI for six months yeah. letter. And I don't think that's the right approach because it's going to happen somewhere. Right. So like if it's not um, here in Silicon Valley, it's happening like, you know, in 
China or France or something like that. So I think it really is getting ahead of it and making sure that, you know, you start prevention for the bad actors. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you sold your company uh, to a Spanish company. You also, I know as, as a friend um, that you're, that you're well-traveled any ecosystems that you're super excited about outside of the U S that you think might have a toehold or kind of a good advantage on the AI side, as we sort of head into a, a future of that being one of the more attractive industries. I actually think France is really great <laughs> to be honest. I know it's not a popular opinion, but they've always had great engineers and there is a lot going there. The other ecosystem I would expect to see a lot of great people come out of is actually London. Um, Google Brain is there. DeepMind is there. Also, Oxford and Cambridge is there. So really, if you look at like where this type of stuff kind of like always circles, it's always around great universities. So that's kind of um, just a short list of off the top of my head where I think it's going to be. Yeah, super cool. Well, Wenwen, I really appreciate you being here. It's been super cool to get the the update and the scoop on where AI is headed. I always appreciate the chance to catch up with you and just stay on the cutting edge of, of technology. So thank you for sharing with all of our guests. Cool. Thanks. Take care. That's it for this episode of The Road Untraveled. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you're interested in learning more, please check us out at theroaduntraveled.io. You can follow me on Twitter at bhalls1, and you can follow The Road Untraveled on Twitter at VC Perspectives. My one ask to you is to share this with someone that you think might enjoy the episode or any of the episodes that we've had. We've really enjoyed building this community and hope to continue building going forward. Hope to see you at the next episode. Thanks for listening.